Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, along with my co-host, David Blackman. And we have a great show lined up for you today. We'll be talking with Dave Callahan, who is the president of the Marcellus Shell Coalition. But first, I want to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Ben Dell was on the cover. And prior to that was Moda Midstream, in which they just announced a $3 billion sale to Enbridge. If you want to learn more about our latest issue, Ben Dell, or Moda Midstream, please visit shellmag.com. You can actually read all about it, and it is free with our digital issue. I'd also like to tell you about an upcoming mixer set for October the 7th. It is an all-stream mixer at the Hilton Doubletree Sky Lounge in Midland, Texas. It's an event you don't want to miss. If you want to build your business, bring plenty of business cards. We'll have great door prizes. Our speakers will be the Honorable Jason Isaac, who is with the Texas Public Policy Foundation discussing energy and what happened this past session. And, of course, talking about what the policy, Texas Public Policy Foundation, is working on. We'll also be joined by Vance Jin, who is also going to talk to us about property taxes. There was a lot of things that happened this past session here in Texas pertaining to property taxes. We know that property taxes have been on the rise. So if you're a homeowner or wanting information on becoming a homeowner and how property taxes will affect you, you definitely want to attend October 7th. It is from 545 to 745. Once again, it is an all-stream mixer at the Hilton Doubletree Sky Lounge. For more information, go to shellmag.com and click on the banner ad in which it'll take you straight to purchase your tickets to attend. Please don't wait as this, I promise you, will be a sold-out event. And now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host, David Blackman, and the editor of Shell Magazine. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. It is, and we've got a lot to talk about pertaining to uh, natural gas prices, as well as uh, some changes that are occurring in pricing. I want you to pull out the crystal ball, but first I want to talk about this monstrosity of a $3.5 trillion <laughs> budget reconciliation bill that's going on in Washington. I'm just going to ask you to start with your opinion. I mean, obviously, our, uh, the um, EMPs or the, you know, the exploration and production companies or associations are heading to D.C. They're mm-hmm. attempting to try to work on behalf of the oil and gas industry. But just in its current form right now, which we believe it will change to a degree, how bad is it for the oil and gas industry? What what do you see happening besides killing all kinds of jobs, I can imagine, because yeah. that's what, you know, these people in D.C. like to do is kill jobs. But go ahead. <laughs> it, <laughs> it seems like it. it. That is what it'll do, and not just in the industry, but throughout the economy. I, You know, it's a, it's a very bad bill for the oil and gas industry. There's all kinds of new taxes, uh, big new methane regulation, a tax on natural gas. Uh, at the wellhead, uh, as when it goes into a pipeline, when it goes to a processing plant, and when it goes to the end user, uh, you know, a four-stage new tax on natural gas, which will raise everyone's home heating bills, everyone's electricity bills, uh, and the cost of food and and, and their gas their and the pump and, and their clothes yeah, and bottled yeah. water, anything that uses plastic. 
Um, in other words, just, everything you use, every single yeah. thing you use is going to go up because of this. So it, it affects it you too. Mm -hmm. And not, not by a little bit. And this is part of why I think it's important to tell our listeners, this is part of why Congress, you know, uh, particularly the Democrats, this is a Democratic bill, don't want a bill like this to go through normal order and have committee hearings and, you know, spend weeks debating on these provisions and really informing the public about what's happening. Because if you inform the public mm -hmm. uh, that, hey, the cost of literally everything you buy is going to rise dramatically as a result of this bill, you know, the public may not want you to pass this bill. Um, there's a lot of other stuff in here. There's, there's all sorts of uh, tax increases on individuals. In addition to the inflation it's going to create, there is almost $300 billion in additional giveaways to wind, solar, and electric vehicles, the favored uh, industries. Uh, of the current Democratic now, now Party. Let, now let's talk about that real quick because we're going to switch gears yeah. just a little bit. Okay, so there's all these, they already get enough funding or they already get plenty of funding. But let's talk about, the switch gears, the natural gas prices, they're at an all-time high and a lot of it mm -hmm. comes back from other countries, especially like Europe, that are buying natural gas from us. And I want to start with, since we were talking about these uh, in this $3.5 trillion dollar, uh, reconciliation bill, there's more money in there to continue to push it further. But what, tell me what's happening in Europe. Of Why are they having to buy from us again? Well, yeah, and so what's happened in Europe, especially in Germany, France, and Spain, uh, and, and some of the other EU countries, uh, is they all decided, you know, over the last 10, 15 years to go heavily to wind power in their power generating mix. Um, that hasn't worked out well for them. Uh, Germany in particular is actually having a shortage of wind, period. Uh, the wind has stopped blowing as much in Germany for some reason. And so uh, they're not getting the electricity power generation that they had anticipated from wind, uh, which is inefficient generator of electricity in any event. Uh, and so they're having to go back onto natural gas and, and build more natural gas plants and, and, and run the natural gas plants they already have uh, more, more during the day. So that's created a new demand for natural gas in Europe. Uh, Russia, uh, for whatever reasons, has kind of curtailed the supply <laughs> coming in from the east. And so these countries are uh, importing higher and higher volumes from the United States in the form of LNG and from Qatar and Australia, who are the big exporters of LNG. And that has created higher prices in Europe. Uh, you know, we, we were talking earlier, you know, about the fact that uh, we used to have a self-contained market for natural gas in the United States before the LNG export industry began to boom. But now it's become more of a global market. And so uh, what's happening in Europe can have an influence on prices here in the United States, and and that's what's happening. And um, what do you say to the, we, what do you say to the listener that says, "Well, yeah, let them buy from us. It's good for good for us, isn't it?" But then when we go back to the three point five trillion dollar bill, we keep giving money to the same thing here, trying to move in that same direction. Are we not? Right. And are we yeah. not learning a lesson from? Well, they're just. I, I, I'm not against them, but are they as reliable as good old oil and gas? No, they're not. And, and you know, it's not reliable. It's, it's sporadic energy generation. I mean, look at California. California is the exact same story mm -hmm. as, as Germany, okay? They went heavily to win. 
wind is inefficient, wind is not generating what California needs them to generate. And over the last few weeks, uh, the governor of California has had to authorize heavier reliance on natural gas and delay the shutting down of a nuclear power station in California, because suddenly they realize that they have to actually have reliable energy generation on their power grid. We're, we're moving in that same direction in Texas. We, we're, we're just overbuilding wind, overbuilding solar, uh, and not building baseload capacity, capacity, new new natural gas generating capacity. And we saw the, the results of that in February. That's uh, right. Despite all the propaganda that's yeah. been in the media. Some people and, were without electricity for three, five. Right. You were one of them. This was the problem that you experienced as we were relying here in Texas on new wind and solar, which didn't right. perform in a huge snowstorm. And so we, I just keep wondering why we don't see these things and start snapping as a, a just as a population. Like, look, um, obviously these subsidies, you're trying to push them on everyone for, for political reasons, I'm sure, or just to try to diversify. But there's a proper way in my mind to diversify and not leave everybody vulnerable right. either. Right. So let's talk about, um, there's also discussion about a bill to raise in, in the $3.5 trillion, raise the royalty rates and from, mm-hmm. on new federal leases. And that's from 12.5 to 18.75. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And if so, why? Uh, you know, I think it's a fairly benign thing. Personally, I, I know some uh, producers who produce on federal lands are going to object to it and object to me saying that. But it, look, the, the average royalty rate in a private lease in Texas and elsewhere in the United States really over the last 20 years has been 25 percent. That's that's basically the standard royalty rate. That's certainly what uh, landowners in South Texas want. For their royalties and the federal government the, the 12 and a half percent rate was established 50 years ago um even, even longer ago than that and hasn't risen um so the thing is if as you raise that royalty rate you're going to have fewer companies bidding on those federal leases and it could have an effect of reducing production on federal lands going forward because this only applies to new leases um but, you know, so it's kind of a balancing act. I mean, the, the government's rate today is certainly makes those leases more competitive for capital dollars. And uh, it just depends on does the, the federal government want to actually sell those leases or not. And as they raise the royalty rate, the fewer leases they're going to sell. Well, and this goes back to the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation. It just seems like there's so much that they are pushing through. This is just <laughs> one of two other bills that they're trying to get pushed through. And I guess the one that scares me the most is this one because of all the all that's in there, the implications for oil and gas. And I'm glad to see that the um, associations are heading to D.C. and that they are getting involved in this. Uh, because I think that if this is passed anywhere close to its current form, it, we really will start seeing a thinning of the herd of, of EMPs, and it's going to definitely hurt the oil and gas industry and then, of course, the ultimate c- consumer. Um, do you think that there will be a chance that they can modify it to a degree that everybody can live with? Well, I, you know, I hope so. I know the, the there's a group of Texas Democrats. Uh, Henry Coyar is, mm-hmm. is leading that group. Um, and doing great work in trying to get some of these worst provisions out of it. Um, you know, it's that's what it's going to take because, I mean, the Democrats are in the majority. Right. Uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, the senator from Arizona, uh, 
they're up involved uh, are, in it. Yeah. In the Senate side, you know, they're they're Let's, objecting to some of this, and hopefully, uh, cooler heads can prevail. Right. Let's hope they get somewhere because we're definitely going to need some form of a different type of bill versus this 3.5 as is. David, that yeah. is all the time we have. When we come back, we will be joined by Dave Callahan from the Marcella Shell Coalition. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210 210- Four seven one one nine two three, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And now, David, it is time for us to welcome on our guest, Dave Callahan, who is the president of the Marcellus Shell Coalition. Dave, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, It was a great time that we had last time. I look forward to our conversation this time around. David and I uh, wanted to bring you back on. There's a lot of things happening uh, pertaining to energy with the Biden administration, and uh, there's a lot of things happening in your area. Um, And so we want to get into how is your association or coalition uh, working with the Biden administration, all things considered. And so we're going to get into that in the show. But first, before we get started, tell us a little bit about the association, the Marcellus Shell Coalition, its mission, uh, some of your operators, and just kind of the scope and breadth of, uh, you know, what your members gain by being a member of your organization. Certainly. Thanks again for the opportunity. We're a a trade association located in Pennsylvania. We represent uh, folks engaged in the unconventional natural gas industry uh, in in this state and in this region. We have about 100 members right now, everybody from producers, midstream companies, interstate pipelines, downstream uh, uh, folks as well, including you know, um, natural gas distribution utilities, even an electric generation uh, a company that utilizes a lot of natural gas. And of course, like a lot of trade associations, we have a lot of people who provide uh, companies, who provide goods and services to the industry as members as well. It's a good group, a very engaged group. Uh, We have very, very active committees that tackle pressing issues of the day, technical issues out in the field, regulatory issues, legislative issues, you name it. We have a group of engaged people working on the issue. I know David's going to ask you about your upcoming event, but before we switch uh, there, let me just also ask the differences. Um, there's, you know, different shell plays in North America. Your area specifically, what is the major part of energy that you guys deal with? It's more the natural gas play than crude, right? And can you talk a little it bit about... It is almost exclusively natural gas. And, and of course, there, we have a, a wet gas play as well. And let me back up. On, on the shale play itself, while our organization is the Marcella Shale Coalition, some of our operators are also working to develop the Utica Shale that yeah. underlies Marcellus and, and much of Pennsylvania as well. 
And as I started to mention, you know, it's not just natural gas, but natural gas liquids in certain parts of the play as well. So for example, if folks are familiar with Pittsburgh, certain areas west of Pittsburgh, you have a rich and super rich region where you, you have natural gas liquids entrained in the methane. And we have a very, very robust uh, natural gas liquids industry here in Pennsylvania, as well as in our neighboring states of uh, Ohio and West Virginia, and a very, very active set of producers and midstream companies making good use of those liquids. So or is all that whole region part of the Marcellus Shell Coalition? You'll have members from all those different areas? We do. Very we good. do. Very good. Uh, and just like just like we have employees in in in, uh, in who work in Pennsylvania may come over the border from West Virginia and Ohio. Likewise, my good friends and colleagues who run similar organizations in Ohio and West Virginia have Pennsylvania residents working for companies in their states as well. It's the Appalachian region that we're proud to be a part of, and the number what the number three producing region in the whole world. Well, Dave, I know know you have a, a big event coming up on the, I think the twenty eighth through the 30th of September, it's the, the Shale Insight Conference. Before we get into policy and, and other discussions, I just wanna give you a chance to tell us what the event's about and, and who should attend. Certainly, uh, and again, our, our event is called Shale Insight. It's our annual big conference. In years past, we've averaged somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,200 attendees. It's uh, It runs from the 28th through the 30th. We're up in Erie, Pennsylvania this year, so we're bound to attract some people from the good states of Ohio and West Virginia and nationwide as well. This is where every year we discuss you know, the evolution of the industry, latest data, latest trends, where we're headed. This year, that those conversations are going to be very, very focused. Given you know what you briefly mentioned, some of the policy challenges that we're facing, some of the challenges internationally, some of the internal challenges domestically, the energy future of our industry will be on display and discussed throughout the conference. We're going to have folks discussing matters uh, relating to ESG uh, nine different ways, probably. Everybody wants to have something to say and show what they're doing and and to showcase how clean this fuel is, how affordable, and what a vital role this fuel plays, not just domestically, but globally. We're gonna hear from some uh, government officials as well. We're gonna hear from the financial sector for the first time in our uh, 11 years of, of operating uh, Shale Insight. We're gonna have uh, a person from JP Morgan Chase, who is their um, managing uh, director and global head of sustainability, talk to us about you know that intersection of finance um, energy and the environment. Just fascinating sessions throughout. It's kind of mind-boggling to see. I've been involved in covering oil and gas for nine years now, and I've never seen such a more... There's always trouble ahead for oil and gas because it's one of these <laughs> really efficient commodities that we all need to live, breathe, and um, to do well, but yet it's always under attack. But not quite like it seems today with this administration. You have Dr. Jennifer Wilcox, the um, Biden Department of Energy, They're gonna, she's going to speak at this conference. And given all that the administration has done to this point with trying to uh, regulate the oil and gas industry, I guess I'm wondering what kind of reception do you think that she will get from the administration? And do you think that there's uh, any positive things that might come out of speaking at uh, Biden's Department of Energy at their conference? 
Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're going to give Dr. Wilcox a warm welcome. We want to hear what she has in mind in terms of what she feels is the energy future for natural gas. And we hope she has an opportunity to hear from some of the other presenters at the conference to hear of all the great work that's being done in the field as well. Um, she'll also be accompanied at, at an earlier session by uh, Dr. Brian Anderson, who heads up NETL. Um, the National Energy Technology Laboratories. And, and Dr. Anderson will be talking to us a little bit about some of the research that he's doing and leading on carbon capture use and storage, on hydrogen. Again, things that where the industry might be headed, but you know, doesn't need the heavy hand of government to tell us that that's where we have to be. So Dr. Anderson will be sharing some thoughts on that, on the research and hopeful commercialization of certain technologies. And following up his remarks, we're going to have a gentleman who's working on an industry, working on a business in the central part of Pennsylvania, where he'll be producing uh, from natural gas on site, um, urea, hydrogen, and utilizing uh, carbon capture use and storage. So we're going to go from like the, the research to practical application of some of these things as well. Well, Dave, I want to get back on that. We're not quite done with the conference. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. We're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Dave Callahan, who is the president of the Marcellus Shell Coalition. And Dave, before the break, we were talking about your Shell Inside Conference, and the Biden administration is sending Dr. Jennifer Wilcox to speak at the conference. And, and you talked earlier about all the different new kind of tracks, if you will, that you guys are going to be covering. There's so much buzz on carbon capture. Uh, hydrogen. So there's a lot of new moving parts for the oil and gas ESG. And I guess my question is, is uh, with the Department of Energy coming to speak, but do you think that you're going to get anywhere with the Department of Energy on how much their policies are going to hurt the oil and gas industry, especially the small operators? And what do you hope to accomplish by having, or, or do you think that they're going to give you foresight of what's coming down the road so the energy companies can respond better to what they what we know the policies are that they want to try to achieve and get passed and david i don't know if you have questions as well please feel free to jump in here sure uh yeah so you know i i want to i think one of the the most interesting aspects of this dave is is hydrogen um you mentioned it uh, right before the break and uh, we've got you know projects going on here in texas i know uh in, in other parts of the world uh, Port of Corpus Christi, Howard Energy Partners uh, is starting a blue hydrogen project that, they're, you know, they're going to take waste gas from the various refineries down there and convert it to hydrogen. It's a, just a tremendous use of, of this gas that would otherwise be wasted. I just want to give you a chance to talk about the, you know, the kinds of projects that you see happening up in the, in, in the Appalachian Basin as well. Certainly. And, and again, it goes back to what I, what I said a few minutes ago, and that is this industry is constantly evolving, 
constantly doing things better, more efficiently, looking at ways to perform more environmentally consciously. I mean, we already know that our, our that natural gas has benefited the environment tremendously, cleaning up the air, whether it's carbon dioxide emissions, whether it's uh, criteria pollutant emissions, and we're continually striving to do more. And so hydrogen is just one natural offshoot of all that, of all this ingenuity. You know, all the when you think of the ingenuity that went into combining hydraulic fracturing with uh, horizontal drilling, and, and to the and to the point where where we have companies reaching laterals uh, four four miles or more in length, it's just just boggles the mind. So, you know, hydrogen could be one of those avenues where continued use of natural gas fuels and not just a clean future, but an even cleaner future. But yeah. it's time, it takes research, it takes commercialization. It doesn't take government saying, flipping a switch and saying, you have to do it this way right now. You lose out on that innovation. You lose out on that private sector buy-in by doing it by government fiat, government edict. Dave, you had at the last Shell Inside Conference, you had pre- at the time uh, President Trump speak, and now we have the Biden administration. I'm just your personal thoughts on now that it seems like the energy sector is really moving to try to fix problems that um, a lot of the anti-oil and gas and even this administration want the industry to move more greener. So now you have things like ESG and hydrogen and carbon capture and all of the energy industry, the associations, everyone's talking about how they're lowering emissions, how they are moving in this direction. Does it does it make a mark with the with the Biden administration in the way of do they see the good work and are they recognizing it now are they willing to maybe roll up their sleeves to some degree and try to work a little bit more and and less regulations on things but try to work and bringing in the oil and gas industry into well how do we do these things put together instead of it seems like it was always an oil and water type of situation do you see that maybe at some point there might be synergy between what the Biden administration wants and what the oil and gas industry wants to give the uh, administration and the environmentalist. And now we start working together as opposed to this oil and water. I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak on that when we get back from break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662, or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more.
And we're back. You're listening to In the Whole Patch Radio Show. Our, our guest today is Dave Callahan, who is the president of the Marcellus Shell Coalition. Dave, before the break, you, you know, you guys have your big conference coming, and it's, it's, a, it's a nice conference. If you're in oil and gas, whether you are in it or you're a service company, you should be attending this conference. This year, you guys have uh, Biden administration's Department of Energy speaking, uh, Dr. Jennifer Wilcox. And I asked you earlier before the break, the type of synergy that you think that with the energy industry moving in a direction that seems to be far more um, greener in the way of ESG and carbon capture, there's discussion of hydrogen. Uh, I think the industry looks like it's open to, to changing and pivoting. Do you think it goes anywhere with the Biden administration, though? Again, I, I think it's it's worth noting that this industry is constantly evolving, constantly striving to be more efficient, uh, to do things better. And we look forward to a constructive relationship with this administration, just as we do with any administration, be it at the federal, state, or local level. We want to be a partner. We want to show people, and uh, I don't want to use the word educate, but to help people learn the facts about the industry, how we do the technical constraints, the technical opportunities, and the good that, that is being derived from this industry, not just from an energy perspective in fueling our energy needs, but providing the chemical building blocks for all the elements that make our modern life possible as well. And I think, you know, approaching this and all of our relationships with government in a constructive fashion makes tons of sense. It's just unfortunate, like when we look at what's happening in Congress with a $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill um, full of some bad ideas that are just meant to punish the industry, it kind of deflates the, the whole notion of having a constructive relationship with policymakers. Yeah, Dave, I, and I, I want to talk about that bill here in a minute, but also want to just before we do that, you know, I think we run the danger, and, and, and it's largely because of how it's reported in the news media, of people thinking that the only reason the oil and gas industry is doing these things, ESG and carbon capture and hydrogen, is because Congress and, and the administration are demanding it, right? But the, but the fact is, and you know this uh, as well as anybody, uh, I mean, my gosh, some of these companies like ExxonMobil and Chevron and Oxy have been in carbon capture for decades. Literally, ExxonMobil has captured over half of the carbon that's ever been captured on the face of the earth has been done by ExxonMobil. Oxy has had a hydrogen production subsidiary for, for almost 20 years down in Ingleside. Um, and, and so these are things that the industry is, it, to your point, the industry is constantly evolving and changing and, and seeking new business enterprises. And, and these companies are gonna turn all these things into profit centers. And, and so I just, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything you don't already know, but uh, I just think it's important that, that our listeners understand that, that these are things these companies have already been engaged in, correct? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I've been working in the industry for upwards of 30 years, and I can still remember some of my conversations and some of my earliest engagements with folks who I would call mentors in the industry, talking about how, how uh, humankind has used energy just lighter and lighter forms. And, you know, at the time, this, this gentleman said to me, you know, natural gas will be very important someday. If it isn't now, it'll be more important in the future. And after that, 
paused and he said, maybe hydrogen. <laughs> so we've been talking <laughs> about it for, for quite a while. So Dave, I want to switch gears. We keep talking about how the energy industry reinvents itself and uh, adapts to the environment. Obviously, uh, the environment is the number one topic that the Biden administration is talking about and trying to everyone to uh, take that into consideration. Let's switch gears and talk about ESG. Uh, first of all, for our listeners are not really very familiar with what ESG is, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that because everyone is talking about this. Are the companies under pressure, uh, probably more than ever before, by regulators and customers, investors we know won't, uh, a lot of these uh, companies that want to borrow money from the stock market are having real problems uh, getting funded. Tell us some of the concerns that your members are having because of the lack of funds. And um, also, more importantly, are, are you going to bring this up uh, to the Biden administration when you have their ear at the Marcellus Insight Conference? Certainly, ESG will be a, a prime topic at, uh, at our Shale Insight Conference, September 28th through 30th in Erie. We're going to have individual presenters talk about their, uh, in terms of leaders from companies, talk about their plans and the progress that they've made and the goals that they have. You know, when you think of the E side of ESG, it's the environmental side, but don't forget the social and the governance side as well. So we're going to hear companies talk about that. And we're also going to have technical sessions where we're going to have folks who provide goods and services to the industry show exactly how they independently certify some of the operations of, of some of these companies uh, to show that they're environmentally benign and prove to folks. So for example, if you're selling products overseas in the LNG market, it's so very important to show, to back up the claims that we make all the time that our natural gas is produced under the most strict uh, world-class regulations in the world, that it's the cleanest in the world. We say it, we know it from the regulatory standpoint, and then we're going to have the, the, the raw data to, to back that up as well. Uh, to, if I could jump in a little bit of a, of a pivot here, you know, we're in constant, constant um, competition with other energy producing yeah. regions of the world. And we can show, and we know, we've heard from our own Department of Energy and others that natural gas from the United States from a methane intensity standpoint is somewhere in the neighborhood of 65% less methane intense in terms of methane emissions than natural gas from Russia. And they are one of our prime competitors in the international space. Right. We, we have to stand behind that. We have to show that you know while we're talking about changes in our industry here, we have to remember that this is a global solution to economic and environmental issues the world is facing. And our gas is the cleanest and the, the best way to do that, to address those issues. When we come back from break, I want to get back on that topic. That is something that we regularly talk about on the show is how there's so much regulation here uh, being passed or trying to be passed on the oil and gas companies here. But when you look out across on our planet, uh, there's problems with other countries and we should be figuring out how do we address those problems as well. Uh, if at all possible. And I think that the United States and the operators here are some of the best leaders to be able to help them be able to do things better in the way of ESG, carbon capture, uh, hydrogen. So I look at the United States as the leader. We need to be embrace these operators and the midstream companies as opposed to regulating them and allowing them to help other countries. You're listening to on the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
The 23rd World Petroleum Congress brings the global industry to the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, December 5th through 9th, 2021, for a week of forward-looking conversation that will shape the future of energy. The Congress will be centered around the theme of innovative energy solutions, drawing inspiration from the innovative spirit of the industry over the decades. Delegates can expect robust strategic, technical, and U.S. programs with perspectives from government leaders, CEOs, academia, and other expert speakers on the industry trends, as well as creative solutions and best practices to address current energy challenges. Delegates will have the opportunity to attend industry inside luncheons and numerous networking events that will build new professional relationships and strengthen existing ones. Also, they can explore the Congress exhibition where leading international companies will showcase their innovations. Make your mark at the World Petroleum Congress and be a part of the beginning of what's next. To learn more and register, visit www.23wpchouston.com. That's www.23wpchouston.com. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm David Blackman with my co-host Kim Bellotto and our special guest today, Dave Callahan, the president of the Marcellus Shale Coalition. Dave, um, let's talk about this uh, monstrous $3.5 trillion dollar what they're calling, I guess, a budget reconciliation bill, but is really just kind of a catch-all bill for everything from immigration reform to, to hundreds of billions of dollars of subsidies for wind and solar and uh, all sorts of new taxes and fees on the oil and gas industry. And I uh, I know the, the coalition is, is keeping track of what's happening with that legislation and just wanted to get you to give us kind of a status update on its progress and and just what some of the really bad provisions in it uh, happen to be where the oil and gas business is concerned. Certainly, and thank you. One of the primaries of this massive bill that we've been focusing on is a a methane emissions tax, but it has not much to do with methane emissions. It is merely a a pay for in Washington parlance, a a way to pay for this $3.5 trillion bill. It is nothing short of punitive. It's a pancaking of a tax on every segment of the industry, upstream, midstream, downstream. And so when you have that pancaking of a tax structure, who bears the ultimate burden of paying that tax? The consumer. Mm -hmm. And so, this is going to levy by some estimates, I believe I saw some estimates from the American Gas Association that it could add up to hundreds of dollars to the uh, natural gas bills of consumers. I don't know if that included electricity bills, but we have to consider the impact on consumers' electricity bills as well. We're looking at, you know, and again, I'm going to go back to, you know, all of our mind, our our worldviews are, are influenced by not just where we grew up, when we grew up. I grew up and watching and, and seeing my family struggling through the late 60s through the 70s, dealing with energy scarcity and inflation. I fear that we're headed there again. We can't afford to go back there. We have energy abundance. We have to take advantage of it. Um, and this this total reforming of, of not just government, but the economy to the tune of $3.5 trillion is being developed and kind of, I don't want to say rammed through, but rushed through without hearings, without due consideration of right. the of the many seen and unforeseen consequences that could develop. 
This is a pay for. There are just ideas being put into this bill and rushed to a vote, and we'll see how it impacts us later. That's no way, no way to oversee the economy, no way to oversee our energy structure. It's no way to govern. Yeah, and Dave, uh, you know, I, I think uh, what I read, I think it was actually a CNN report um, at their website that uh, the Congressional Budget Office projections on future budget deficits uh, now foresees budget deficits as high as $6 trillion uh, for the federal government through the year 2035 if this bill is ultimately passed in its current form. I, I you know, your concern about uh, inflation, we're already having inflation, and I don't, I mean, talk about the other way, you know, natural gas, yeah, it's for home heating and electricity, but talk about all the other I mean, natural gas goes into fertilizers and plastics and all these other consumer goods that, that, that this tax, I mean, my God, there's hundreds of different uses for natural gas in our economy. It, it's all around us. It, it, again, I, I think I may have shared previously, it, it provides the building blocks, the chemical building blocks yeah. for everything that makes modern life possible, whether it's home building, healthcare, you name it, every modern convenience, every aspect of our life is touched by the natural gas industry and natural natural gas liquids industry, the petrochemical industry. There are hydrocarbons all around us. They make modern life possible. And so again, without taking into consideration, without measuring the possible in, impact beyond what this will do from a, a budgetary standpoint, what will this do to the American economy? What will this do uh, to the average citizen and their ability to pay their bills, their ability to function as well? We haven't taken that into consideration. And by pancaking a tax upon a tax upon a tax in a punitive fashion on this industry because they, they want to label us as a fossil fuel and literally want to, you know, drive us out of existence, they don't understand the critical roles that we're playing, not just here domestically, but abroad as well. And Dave, I just want to jump in there because I know that there are listeners listening and saying, okay. Oil and gas is bad. Regulate them. Yeah, that sounds great. Regulate them out of existence. <laughs> and they don't understand you look around the country and when you can't get gas for your car and when you do not have lights and it's cold or maybe it's super hot and you don't have air conditioning, uh, people literally do not make it in those kind of circumstances. It is beyond just regulating out an industry. It is we are basically regulating ourselves out of existence. And I see this this monstrosity, $3.5 trillion, affecting the most vulnerable, the elderly that live on a certain check, and they're barely making it, uh, people who suffered a lot of medical bills due to COVID, or they lost their job, or the most indigent, the poor, who in this bill, I understand they're going to start taxing or trying to tax uh, vehicles in the way of how we drive. So there's like a mild mileage tax in there, too, that we're going to be paying taxes on. Have any of you heard on that, can speak on that? I'm like, this is going to affect everyone but the most indigent. You're, it's going to get, they're going to get it the worst. Um, David, I know you had, and before we have to close out the show, let's talk about Joe Manson and um, the yeah. bill. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, Dave, I, you know, I know uh, Senators Manchin from uh, West Virginia, you know, who has the Marcellus Shell in his state, um, and, and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, two key Democrats that have raised objections to some aspects of this bill. I just wonder, you know, what y'all are currently seeing as you assess uh, the potential for this bill getting through the Senate. Well, 
the senator in, in any number of, of situations has called for a strategic pause. And again, to go back to what I was saying, to take into consideration that the full, the full and complete impact on our economy, on our, on our energy infrastructure, on, on the world as well, to take that into consideration. We've even seen polling over the last week or so. I think I saw something reported in Axios from, I think, No Labels, where I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 64% of respondents supported the idea of a strategic pause to just stop and, and take stock of what this bill is doing and what the impact will be on average Americans. It's well, that's crazy. a great idea. I hope, I hope, uh, I hope uh, Senator Manchin can succeed with that. Kim? I, uh, yes. We're going to close out the show. Dave, where can uh, our listeners get information if they want to attend the Shell Insight Conference? Sure. They can take a look at our website, www.marcelluscoalition.org. And uh, we'll have lots of information there. And uh, something that I failed to mention, if you're an attorney, if you're an engineer, an environmental professional, uh, chances are you can get some continuing education credits from any number of the technical sessions that we'll be hosting at, at the conference as well. We have something for everyone. Very good. And I want to close out the show <laughs> saying if you're listening, call your local elected official and tell them that they need to put this pause so we can actually examine the bill and consider what it means before we just sign off and put that into law. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Dave, thank you again for joining us back on the show. David, another great show in the books. That's all the time we have. Thank you for listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Dave, thank you once again for joining us. Thank you both very much. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.